Good morning one more time. And that's for all of you who are here and also those of you who are watching online at home. Uh, we uh, love to have you watching with us. Uh, and um, yeah, really want to encourage you. This morning, by the way, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 2 Timothy in chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible with you or a phone or a tablet that you're going to be using for biblical purposes, uh, we do have, look at these fancy new Bibles that we have that are at the back by the offering jar. They're hardcover. They're awesome. And if, so if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one for today's message, that would be great. And otherwise, listen, if you don't have a Bible, take it home. It's yours. We would love you to have a Bible because we really love opening the Bible here at the Rock Church and reading it. Amen? Yeah. So listen, we are continuing in our series in 2 Timothy, uh, guarding the good deposit. We're into chapter 2 now. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's encouraging to get going into the second chapter. A little bit of a reprise so far where we're at. This is a letter that Paul has written to Timothy four to five years after the first letter that he wrote to him. Things have changed dramatically, especially for Paul. Uh, we've, uh, we've learned that he is in chains in a cold, dark Roman prison. Uh, he's been in prison several times in his ministry and lifetime. This is the last one. Uh, people call this letter his last will and testament. Paul will be uh, executed as a martyr in about three to four months after Timothy receives this letter. And yet he writes this incredibly loving, caring letter as a father to a son in the faith, Timothy. And so it's very meaningful, not only to Timothy, but to the church in that day and to us today. So we learned that in the first chapter, what does he do? Like here he is, he's chained in this cold, dark prison, and he's writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, to do what? To encourage him. To motivate him. <laughs> to, to what? To stay strong. And he, he does so by, first of all, just reminding him of a few things. He says to Timothy, remember the sincere faith that you were raised in. You remember your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and how they raised you in the sincere faith, Jewish faith to begin with, and then Jesus? Remember them. And remember that that sincere faith became yours, Timothy. Like, why do we need to be reminded of those things? <laughs> well, because... Sometimes life gets in the way. Sometimes challenges get in the way. And even for pastors and leaders, the timid Timothys of this world, hello, we need that encouragement, that motivation to remember, remember that. Paul also says, listen, remember the sincere faith, but also the sound teaching. Timothy, you walked with me for 10 years. You saw what good ministry looks like. You heard me preach and teach the word of God. You heard Peter, you heard James and John and some of the other apostles too. You heard what sound doctrine looked like, what it meant. Listen, remember that. You're going to need it. Then beginning in verse 8 until verse 18 that we looked at last Sunday, Paul really leans into something that was pretty challenging, uh, for sure, for Timothy, but also for us. You see, Anisiphorus had come to visit Timothy, uh, pardon me, Paul in prison, and apparently we get the idea that a report had come with him about the things that were going on in Ephesus, because Anisiphorus was from the church in Ephesus that maybe Timothy was buckling a bit under the pressure. And so Paul says to him, to Timothy, a pastor, do not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ and or of me. It's a little shameful to be put to death as a criminal like Jesus was, right? And apparently he's the savior of the world. Yes, he was, and he is. But also Paul, this great teacher, and what? what? You know, for being a good Christian, what happens to you? You're called a criminal. 
but it was true. What was happening in that day happens a lot, and that is basically, listen, pressure comes. I, I, I love the Bible, as all of you know, and I'm trying to encourage all of us in the Rock Church, love your Bible, right? It's the Word of God, it really is, but it's super relevant for today. Sometimes we look at it, you know, we just like it's 2,000 years old, and we're like, really? That world is identical to this world today. I'll tell you what, you may, we may believe in evolution, some of you might, okay? But human evolution, I don't think things are the same. We're just as broken and messed up as they were in that day. And so this is a problem for us. And so basically, what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy is, look, do not be ashamed, but listen, that's why we call the, the, the heading of this, and because it comes from the scripture in this chapter, we saw it in verse 14 last week, he says to, Paul, to Timothy, Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Guard it, like literally with your life. What is that good deposit? Well, it's the words of faith that he got from his grandmother and his mother, but also the sound doctrine that that Paul has given to him. And so he's charged to guard that. So the rest of this letter that we're looking at today and for the next uh, seven weeks, I believe, is how that we are as the church today to just do that. How do we guard the the good deposit that has been given to us. And so you'll remember from uh, 1 Timothy, it'll be on screen for you, verses uh, 14 and 15 from chapter 3 say this. This is Paul actually in the first letter laid out his purpose for writing the letter to Timothy. Sometimes for pastors, preachers, that's a good thing. I can point to it and say, there's the reason, right? He says, listen, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, and he did because <laughs> he was in prison, Uh, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And so that was a wonderful letter because in that letter we learned a lot about what we do here and why we do it as the church. But I want to really emphasize the words that we see there, the truth. You see the definite article? (laughs) Not a truth or one of the truths. No, the truth. It's a definite article. And so I just want to suggest to you that for the balance of our series, let's shorten our tagline. You know, guard the good deposit and entrusted to us. How about guard the truth? In our day and age, as we'll see, that's going to be very challenging. The first century that the church in Ephesus lived in was not unlike ours today. I know, okay, there was Roman soldiers, and it was, but, you know, I, I've actually been, and I'm going to show you in a second, a picture of Ephesus that Janice and I visited about eight, nine years ago, or at least, it's very similar. It, 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 it also had, quite frankly, in that day, a lot of distorted values, political upheaval, confused thinking, and dangerous misconceptions about what constituted truth. Do you remember what Pilate said to Jesus when, you know, the subject of truth came up? He said, What is truth? It was very relative in that day. Your truth is not my truth. You know, it was the same. Exactly the same in that day. But here's the thing. The result of cultures like that in that day, and if you look at history, it always ends up the same way. When a culture walks strongly away from the truth, you know what happens? Ruin. Here's a picture of, uh, that I took uh, on a very rainy and cold day. If you can put it up, Alec, that'd be great. There it is. Uh, so I was standing on a hill. These, this is the ruins of Ephesus. I got lots of pictures. It's quite an amazing day. I got, got a little verklempt. 
Anybody remember that, Saturday Night Live? A little emotional because there was one point where the guide said to us, and you can see it over there on the left-hand side, that roadway, the pebbles, the rocks, pardon me, then it goes all the way down to the amphitheater. He said, listen, most of these ruins have been resurrected, and they're not all in the original location, but you see the big library that was back there? See that, that back building back there? That was a library, three stories tall, full of books. Very well-educated society. But he said that that roadway... That's really the only original thing that's still here. And I had to sit down at one point because I thought, oh my. Paul walked these, this path. Now, I don't worship Paul, but a bit of a hero in the faith. It was pretty amazing. But guys, that's what happened to that culture. And in that day, it's gone. Not only is the town, the city of Ephesus done, so is the church. We went there nine years ago, apparently, as a group of missionaries and church planters from Canada to encourage the church planters over there who are in hiding because their lives are in danger for mentioning Jesus in a Muslim country. And I'll tell you what, they were the ones who encouraged us because they're the ones who are brave. And those are the ones who are guarding the truth more than we are here in our world and culture today. I'm going to suggest to you. And so we look at that today and say, that couldn't happen here. Listen, they didn't think so either. In that day and age, they didn't think that would happen to their, church, their uh, community at all. So my conclusion for you before we go on and read our scripture for today is when the truth is not only relativized, but literally mocked and discarded, this is in history the result of every age. It is. It's challenging, I understand. Read the text with me, with you, uh, with me today, please. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. That's our little longer than usual introduction, but I'll read the text and then I'll pray one more time. Paul again writing to Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, Timothy, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you. Uh, thank you that we have these words that you have preserved over the ages. We didn't do that. You preserved this word. The original manuscripts, you, 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 you saved us copies of these and multiple, multiple copies. And today we have them printed in our own language. 
and they're true, and we do trust them. So I just want to thank you this morning. As we prayed upstairs earlier, Holy Spirit, we pray that um, you will take the, the meager words, and I say that truly humbly, that you've given to me to try to bring us into the reality of this text for today, but you will do the work. You, you will show every heart and mind here today the truth about Jesus, about who you are and what you've done. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So I believe the question that Timothy and the church in Ephesus had at this point in time was clearly uh, the same as you and I should have today. It would basically be, uh, and listen, the, the, the Roman government at that time is going a bit crazy. Not only is Paul in prison, but Nero's at large, and Christians are being persecuted. Uh, uh, Christians are dying for their faith. Uh, it's significant. Um, the culture is kind of turning on them um, because they're these uh, holier-than-thou goody-two-shoes, you know, who don't sleep around and don't do all the things that we do. And so the persecution is absolutely real. And so they're basically saying, okay, Paul, tell us. Really, okay, tell us. Considering the day and age and the times, how do we guard the truth? We kind of like to go silent, if you know what I'm saying. So how do we do that in a world that has literally lost its mind? Has become so confused over even what a man or a woman is. And they had that problem too, by the way. How do we guard the truth that has not only been lost, but rejected on a mass scale? How do we do that? Yes, Paul, please give us some hope. Give us some direction. Yes, please do that. We need that. Paul understands these questions extremely well. Remember where he is as he's writing this letter. He understands perfectly well that he's in prison because he personally has been standing for the definite article truth all of his ministry life. That's what he's been doing. And that's why he's in prison. And he knows that's why he's going to be put to death is because of this thing called the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? It's a person. He embodies the truth. And so that's why Paul now writes this part of the letter this is where he's going to really get into it, and he's going to show us four ways today and then many more throughout the rest of this text. How we do that? How do we guard the truth then and today? And so first, in verses 1 and 2, he says, number one, here's how you do it. Timothy, Glenn, Christian, be strong. Be strong. He says, you then, my child. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust that to faithful men and women in the original Greek who would be able to teach others also. So first, listen, look at it this way. What Paul does is he personalizes it, right? He doesn't, he doesn't start off with saying, now, Timothy, the most important thing is that you've got to get those people in the church to be strong, right? It's Timothy, it's got to start with you. It really has to start with you. Pastor, elder, leader, it's got to start with you. He personalizes it. And so I want to suggest to you, that's proof that this is not just for Timothy. This is for every Christian and every age to this day. And he says, first, Timothy, therefore, if you desire to keep the sincere faith that you have had and guard the truth in these difficult days, then you personally must be 
strong. So remember again, now we've been over it a few times. He's known as Timid Timothy. He, he had health problems. He's stressed out quite a bit. It, it's, not a, it's not a secret. He, he was a bit timid. He was a young man. He was 30 years of age when he was placed into this role in Ephesus. Now he's 35, 36. The older men are putting him down. On and on it goes. And so he's probably heard this, this encouragement from Paul for a long time. He's like, look, I'm putting you in this role. I'm going to leave you here. But listen, it's okay. You got this. The only reason why we're putting you in this role is because we know you can do this. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's a bit what he was like. It's his indeed. So this encouragement is something he's likely heard for years. But look at what Paul says. And again, he's likely reminded Timothy of many times, the strength that you need, my child, is not in you. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Right? Glenn, it's not in you. How many times, I don't know, honestly, in, in the 14 years that we've been ministering in this church, has, have I not got up in the middle of the night and go, it's up to me. <laughs> I confess, okay? It's not up to us. It's not up to you. He says right there, it's by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you a really simple question here at this point? How much grace does Jesus have? Someone said a lot. It's endless. It's infinite. He has so much grace that he can give to us. And so as we, we attempt to live out uh, this life of faith and guarding the truth, we, we need to understand that his grace is limitless. It's overflowing. And so that's good news. Well, of course it is. But, but listen, it's also dependent on a very important thing. There's always, you know, there's always the truth about it's all in God's work and all in God's time and all in his strength and in his power, but there is agency <laughs> required of us. And, and the agency is this, and I don't know how to put it any other way, but listen, there is no human being on this planet, whether spouse, brother, sister, mother, father, grandparent, mentor, whatever it might, might be, who can take the place on a daily basis of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That has to be preeminent. Is that easy? Well, not for our distracted North American lifestyles it is. No, it's not. But that's what Paul's getting at with Timothy. Timothy, how's your relationship with Christ? Are you, do you know him? Do you remember him? We're going to get to that as we get to conclusion, even more so. But he wants him to understand that is it. Listen, that's the problem for me today. It's the problem for you today. It's, it's been the problem most of my life. I got saved at 23 years of age. I had long hair. I was inhaling substances. I was a rock and roll drummer in Toronto. Woohoo! No. <laughs> but from that day, like it was like, okay. Uh, like people said to me, I think in the first six to nine months, yeah, Glenn's definitely changed. Like not only the ex exterior, but the interior. It was like, I honestly found, felt angelic. Okay. I, I thought there was a chance that I, would, I was perfected early. <clears throat> -dum -dum. nine months later, well, I think I'll have another cigarette. Or maybe a few more drinks. Oh, my goodness. Come on. It, it, and what was it about? Well, it's okay. Like, at first it was like the Bible, Jesus, going to church. Everything was like up and to the right, right? And then my work career, and like, ah, da, da. And then friends that I didn't want to lose, and, but I was losing. It becomes a battle. And so today, the pressure is, it's, it sometimes can be too great. And so rather than going here, rather than going here and talking to him about it, 
what, what do we do? Well, well, I talk to Janice. She's very wise, right? Not that wise. We, we put our faith and trust in spouses and friends, in gurus and psychiatrists and online counselors. Don't, okay? But we do. And, and, and then we wonder why at the end of the day, all of a sudden we find out, you know what? They're pretty messed up too, based on some things that they write or say or do. And then there's also the times when they literally, literally, including friends, close friends, can let us down, can betray us, even reject us. And so when it comes to the truth, it's not found often in those closest to us. We would hope in the Christian it is, in the Christian church it is, but it is found here, 100% of the time, and it's found there, with him. He's here. He's present in you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, Timothy, your most reliable source for the strength that you need and truth you need is Jesus. First, it's there. Secondly, in verse 2, Paul says, another way to be strong, I love this, to guard the truth is to listen. Get back on mission. I love this. It's like, you know, oh, honey, like, I don't know why, why is this person broken the way they are? Oh, why are people leaving the church? Oh, oh, why do I feel like this sermon is just not going to preach, right? Or whatever it is. And then, then it's like, Glenn, just go and make disciples. To make disciples. Get back on mission. That's what he says in the second half of this verse, isn't it? He goes, okay, Timothy, so like, yeah, be strengthened in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ first. Secondly, go make disciples. Who make disciples? That word, is it on the screen still? Can you put it back up, please, Alec, in verse 2? Verses 1 and 2, there it is. Uh, Yeah, entrust. Oh, man, I like that word, right? What I'm trying to do, what you should be trying to do as a Christian every day is, is entrusting to those you're discipling this. Entrusting means, hey, Timothy, I'm passing the baton to you, buddy. Hey, fellow Christian, sister, brother, Christian, I'm, this is passing the baton to you. So entrust it. Get back on mission. I love what Jesus said when he gave us the Great Commission, right? In Matthew 28, it won't be on screen, but he said, you know, all authority has been given to me. Awesome. <laughs> we know that, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And then he ended with, and I will be with you. Oh, pardon me. And then teach them all that I have commanded you. And then teach them what? All that I have commanded you, all of the truth. That is the Great Commission. So in other words, Paul says, Timothy, do what I've been doing with you for the last 10 years, man. Do the same thing. Do it and trust it. This is the good deposit that you will leave with others. It's called multiplication. It's why when Jesus died and then rose from the dead on that particular Sunday, you know how many... Disciples were there with him that were still following him. 120, the scripture tells us. That's about the size of the Rock Church. I think we're pretty successful. What happened out of 120? Billions throughout history. They took it seriously. So I would suggest it's every Christian's responsibility to share the truth, starting with, yes, parents, with your children, Yes, of course, that's where we got to start it. 
Um, and then, of course, with friends, neighbors, co-workers, and frankly, everyone that the Lord brings across your path. That's our responsibility as Christians. It is. It always has been. And it will remain to be that. Yeah, I, I, I also want to share with you, I, I've been really encouraged over the last several months, uh, oh, actually over the last 13, 14 years of our church, but I'm hearing it a lot since last fall that some of you are, like, are sharing a missional community group or whatever about being in conversation you know, with friends or coworkers, and uh, the conversation starts going down a certain path where they're talking about one of the hot button issues of today. Need I mention them, right? And while the conversation is going on, this particular believer, Christian brother or sister that I know that you know, uh, in the conversation goes, yeah, no, I don't think that's true. Or I don't think that's right. <laughs> uh, talk about being a party pooper. But instead, I think this is the truth. That's really encouraging, right? That's really encouraging when you, you see that happening. So in other words, once again, be strong. Be kind, be gentle, be loving. Speak the truth in love. So next, Paul gives us three great metaphors, which are examples for us, again, on how to be strong and how to guard the truth today, which is awesome. And so I also want to suggest this as we go into them. What I get from these three in particular is that the bottom line that he's saying for Christians is it's all in with Jesus. Your life, if you want it to be the life that he's called you to and saved you to, we need to be all in with him. Nobody else. Nobody else. All in with Christ. And so here, for the rest of this letter, Paul will challenge us to fully commit ourselves to being with Christ and following him and serving him. It's going to get painful. <laughs> he just needs to keep reminding and exhorting. And so I'm going to have to be bringing that to you. To do that, he knows again from personal experience that it's going to require us to have, look, the dedication of a soldier, the, dis, 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 pardon me, the discipline of an athlete, and the diligence of a farmer. Three amazing metaphors. Number one, be a good soldier. Verses three to four, he says this, share in suffering as a good soldier for Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so I, I'm pretty sure the opening words, uh, share in the sufferings of a good soldier, might be, well, no, they are probably a bit foreign to our North American ears, right? Like, oh, oh we know there are atrocious wars going on in our world, but it's over there, right? It, 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 it's not like our reality every day, other than when we look online and see the news and so forth. We see these reports and the horrors of war, but our context is really quite a distant reality. My late father-in-law, Janice's dad, was my father in the faith, was an army vet. He was a dedicated soldier in the Canadian Armed Forces and also in the Lord's Army, he loved to say. He loved to watch great war movies. His collection of VHS videotapes is still in the the, the shelves beside uh, the TV in their home where uh, Carol, mom's, uh, Janice's mom, still lives. Uh, and, and, he, and the more realistic those movies were, the more he rewatched them. Because right? here's the thing. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't ingratiated with it, but 
but he knew what it looked like firsthand. And he wanted it to be realistic because he knew this. It's evil. It's evil. But he was a soldier. And being a soldier is not evil. It was necessary. He used to, we, we, he and I had some fantastic conversations because he knows that our, our Mennonite brethren denomination believes in pacifism. <laughs> and he would just smile, me too. Uh, and he would go, that's nice. That's really lovely. Right? Yes. You know, peaceniks, pacifism. It, it, it's, it is the ideal, but you know what? It's in our world, not the reality, is it? It's not the reality at all. Not that my father-in-law or I or you wouldn't wish it's true or possible. He just knew in his heart of hearts and through his experience, it wasn't. Why? Well, war is actually part of the consequences of the fall. War is a part of the consequences of our broken and prideful human conditions. Oh yeah, you don't believe what we believe? Oh yeah, you don't have a democracy like us? Oh yeah, you don't have a... Monocracy like us, well, it's part of our condition. One commentator put it this way, war is a judgment from God on all the nations involved because, it is, because of the toleration of our injustice, oppression, and corruption, which has been winked at and even approved of for many years. War is just what you get. Paul uses the example of a soldier because they knew in that day that being a soldier meant suffering. Not only as a soldier, but making other people suffer. They knew that. They, they all really knew to that, including the very real possibility that you could lose your life. The life of a soldier was and is not an easy or safe life then or today, right? I mean, the life of a soldier. I remember growing up, there was all these ads, you know, in the U.S. anyway, before Vietnam about, hey, join the army, travel and see the world. Really? come back with PTSD or not come back. This is the reality. So Paul's saying that as you and I live out the call in our lives as Christians, there will be, there will be, not maybe, but there will be suffering. Maybe not in the same way that they suffered in those days. Maybe we won't have war on our steps. Maybe our society will not actually be laid in ruins. No guarantees about that. But we will suffer rejection, things that will feel like death to us in this life as Christians. And so he says, be strong as we live out our walk with Christ. We will need the dedication of a soldier. And look at the last part of the verse. We will need the single-mindedness of the soldier. I love this part. No soldier, he says, gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Listen, if you read history in the days of Ephesus, the Roman soldiers, they would walk into the line of the fire and die for what? For the Roman government? No, for their commander. They loved and admired their commander so much they would walk into the line of fire for him. And yeah, for the people of the, the Roman Empire, for sure. But that's why they would do it. They would walk right into that fire. So for you and I here today, then the lesson is this. We're not to be double-minded we're not to be double-minded. There's an old saying, it's like one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. Besides being rather uncomfortable, because <laughs> there's a fence there, it's being double-minded. 
We need to be single-minded. Our focus is to be on Christ. The motive here is out of love. Not duty, but love. Nothing in this world should outrank him. Amen? Nothing. Number two, be dedicated as an athlete. Verse five will be on screen for you. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I've always loved this metaphor, (laughs) most of my life anyway, because at one point in time, I fashioned myself to be an athlete. Okay. Um, Yeah, some work to be done there. No, I've always loved this one, right? And and, uh, But the first thing we must see here is that the athlete that Paul is referring to here has a specific motivation. This kind of athlete sees a prize. He, He sees what victory might bring him or her. What is it? A crown. (laughs) A trophy. A gold medal. That's what they see, right? That's what they see. So this type of athlete is not your typical athlete in name only, right? Now listen, don't anyone take this personal, but just as an illustration, right? It's not the kind of athlete that, you know, post is on Instagram, which, you know, I do. I put my Strava up once in a while when I walk five kilometers fast as I can, right? You know, or, you know, like the, the occasional uh, run or workout at 5 a.m. And then, of course, we're also posting all of the uh, fatty foods we're eating on the weekend and uh, the lovely wine goblets that we're drinking from and also the party reveling that we're a part of. No, this is not that kind of athlete. A little wine is fine. Okay, don't anyway. But that's not the athlete that Paul's getting at here. This is a very different kind of athlete. This athlete is serious. And, and some of you have met athletes like this. You know them because some of us follow them online and we're, we're like, there are heroes when it comes to athleticism or sport, right? They decided at one point in time, there was an event or a sport that they wanted to achieve such a high level of success in that they were at the same time, they decided or determined that they were willing to give up, to sacrifice the things that their best friends believed were part of the good life. They were willing to do that. For this athlete, then, there's no inhaling. No. There's no drinking. There's no parties. There's no junk food. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? There's not. But listen, they make a conscious decision, again, to sacrifice these pleasures, to deny themselves these things, these certain comforts. And why? They know there's a prize. And, and actually what they know is even if they don't get, you know, gold, silver, or bronze, as long as they, you know, like they really, they get an opportunity to compete, they know that at the end of the day, there is for them, at least in their opinion, a better way of life. There's a healthy way of life. And ultimately, there's potentially a better outcome. There's a prize. So as believers, we're called to say no to many things. We are to not put certain images before our eyes, guys, to not drink to excess, to not sleep around. And listen, it is good to say no to these things, right? It is good for us to say no to these things. That's the truth. That, too, is the truth. What the Lord is calling to us to is much better. So number four is in, in this, and third in these metaphors, is be a diligent farmer. <laughs> Janice would love this one. Permaculture, for those that you don't know, okay? 
Verses 6 and 7 says, It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, Timothy, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Hardworking in the Greek could also be uh, translated this way, diligent. Another great word. Uh, We're not in an agrarian society here today. I understand that they very much were in that day. But most of us, if, if we don't know someone was raised on a farm, we've heard stories about it, right? We've all heard about it. We still know that, you know, being a farmer today is, man, it's long days, hard work for not a lot of pay. In fact, you know, by the time you pay the mortgage on your house and the mortgage on your your machines and all the rest of it, there's barely anything left at the end of the day, but you're a farmer. You're a farmer. It's important to you. It really is. And so it's always been difficult. Truth is, and, and this is the lesson for us today, it takes long hours, long days to be a successful farmer. You need to be up at 4 to 5 a.m. I would need medication for that. You need to be up at that time. Dinner, maybe, 6 to 7 o'clock. You might have like half an hour, 45 minutes to an hour with the kids, and then what happens after that? Rinse and repeat, right? Oh, hang on a second. A calf decided to be born at 2 a.m. That's the life of a farmer today. It is really what it's like. So like the farmer and the athlete, there's a goal to achieve, and in the case of the farmer, the goal is what? It's called the harvest. That's the goal. It's called the harvest. That is the goal of a disciple maker who makes disciples. You all know, many, many of you know that I don't have it with me, it's at the back, but we, many of us have our phones set to go off at 10.02 every day. Why do we have it go, to go off at 10.02? Because we're going to pray Luke 10.2 to the Lord of the harvest that he would send us more laborers into this harvest. And I like to say to people, if you're new at the Rock Church and you've decided to stay with us, You are an answer to prayer, as long as you get into the harvest work with us. But that's the point. That's the metaphor and the teaching of the farmer, and that's the point to us. See verse 7, Paul then says, think it over. I love that. Okay, Timothy, same with you. Think over what you're hearing here today. Think it over. Not from me, but from the Holy Spirit. Think it over. How about this, Timothy, Christian? How about get up early? Before you have to have that coffee, or okay, you need the coffee, but get up, and before you have to get dressed, get out the door, grab a donut, grab it, and get in the car, get up earlier. Why? Read your Bible. Talk to him. Say, okay, Lord, it's another day. What are we doing today? What do you got for me? Whatever it is, bring it on. I'm going to need your help. Let's go. This is what Timothy, I believe, is getting at with him, right? It's get up early, pray, and and, and the Lord will give you understanding of his truth, even the truth of the things that you don't understand yet, whether from his word or what's going on in your life. He will reveal it to you. Keep the conversation going. Talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ too. They're going through the same things. That's why we do our community groups. And so he says, go and be a good soldier from that point on, a dedicated athlete and a diligent farmer. Like Paul did in the passage last week, he goes again at this point to Timothy. I love this. Okay, there's the lessons. And then he goes to this. Look at this in verse 8 and 9. Remember Jesus. Okay. Paul's not saying, hey, remember me. I'm in chains. Look at me. I'm your model. I'm the guy that you should be following. It's not what he's getting at. He's going like, 
I'm here because of this man who died on the cross for me. And I know he's alive today. I've met him. I've talked to him. Like literally heard his voice. He's revealed himself to me, which is why I'm writing this and telling you these things, because I got a direct download from Jesus Christ. And you all know the story of Damascus Road with Jesus. He says, remember Jesus Christ, gives him the gospel one more time. Timothy, he's a pastor. Timothy, you need to hear the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So we remember, when he said, go and make disciples, Jesus also said this, I will be with you until the end of the age. Christian, if you're his and he's yours, you, you ha- we, we need to believe every moment of every day he is with us. He is inside us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The song we sang today, no fear. Come on, what are we fearing? Oh, I know, I know, I'm not... This is the encouragement we need to hear. And also remember, Timothy, that he, the offspring of David, was fully human. Just like you, just like me, he experienced more horrific things as a man than you and I ever will. He suffered the worst of the worst. He persevered. He is now what? Crowned. What? King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the victory. That's the prize. He, who, he is whom I have preached, so you do likewise. And if you do, well, you too may end up like me. Yes, bound in chains, called a criminal. But listen, we can, trust, we can entrust this. The word of God, God will not be bound. Was that a true statement? <laughs> it was a true statement. It's not bound. They're dead. This is not. It's alive, and we've got it in our hands. And then he concludes with these beautiful, beautiful words. In verses 11 and 13, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So friend here today, if you belong to Christ, then I hope you know this and trust this and believe this. You have received forgiveness for your sins. And that means, based on John chapter 1, that at that point, Jesus has given you the right to become a child of God. Before that, you're not. As a child of God, you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You will reign with him one day. He's yours now and he will be yours forever. The last two of these verses that are given here are interesting. We will get to them. If that is true, by the way, what I've just been saying in your life, then this too is also guaranteed. A crown awaits you. The Bible talks about crowns, and those are crowns as rewards for the good things that we do as Christians in this life, but you and I both know, or we should know, we don't work to get our crowns, right? Because it's also said that we're going to throw our crowns at his feet because we're going to realize that we're really not worthy of those crowns. But the crown that Paul is speaking about here is a crown that every believer in Christ will receive one day. In fact, it's already there waiting for you. You know what it's called? It's called the crown of righteousness. 
perfect righteousness. It's yours. It's mine. It is waiting for us. So the reality then is that this is already ours. So what we must do today is ask these questions out loud. Have you died with him? Right? Have you died? Have you said, like I have, you know, Lord, uh, uh, Glenn uh, recognizes his sin. I recognize the truth of your word that I am a sinner and I need your forgiving grace to save me. And so I, I want that old Glenn to die. He's slowly being put to death because I want the new Glenn that came out of the baptismal waters, which is why we do baptism, it's a representation of that, to be the real Glenn. That's what Paul's getting at here. And so I ask you that question because the answer is, if that's true of you here today, then you will live with him. Today and forever. Are you enduring? Will you endure to the end? That's a personal question. That's a good, tough question. Pray on it. Talk about it in community group this week. Because the answer is, if you will and you do, then yes, you will endure to the end. The last two uh, may cause us to worry, but let's ask them anyway. Have you ever denied him? Have you ever been in a position where you've been ashamed and you've gone silent when you should have said something like we saw last week? Come on. Yes, of course we all have. Have you ever been faithless, lacked enough faith to actually walk out this Christian life? Yes, I have. You have. We will. The good news is right here. He's not faithless. He's faithful. Faithful to the end. His words to us are, I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? His grace, Christian, will be sufficient for you. That said, listen, I'm hoping here today, as we leave here today, that we will all feel a little bit more motivated to show our devotion and love to him by being strong and by continually guarding the truth. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, once again, we come to you thankful. So thankful that, yeah, Lord, I, one of the reasons why I love your, war, your word and, and love reading your Bible, it's not, this is not self-help. <laughs> There's nothing in here that tells us that we're basically good people. We just need to try harder. Now, you, you tell us the truth about what it's really all about what the truth is about who we are and what we've done, but more importantly, about who you are and what you have done to give us life. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this testimony of Paul and Timothy and the church in Ephesus, and we, we thank you, Lord, that it's a reality for us here today. Lord, I pray for us as we leave here today, as we continue to sing and, and go to communion this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us. You would, you would every one of us here today, the, the Christian who's been... Yeah, at this a while, has been living this life for a while, but yeah, like Timothy, needed to be reminded, to be encouraged, to be motivated. And Lord, for those who are here today who maybe this is, this is new information. This is not something that has ever been really on our radar in the same way. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch the heart, that you would encourage these hearts um, as you do, because that's what you do to trust Jesus, to trust him as the way, the truth, and the life for them.
here this morning. And I pray this thing in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.